my name is Caleb Williamson, and um, I am a junior in high school. I'm, I'm homeschooled, although I, uh, I take dual enrollment classes at John Tyler. Uh, I love playing basketball. That's what I do. Um, I hope to play in college. Um, I play for a homeschool team in Richmond, and also uh, I play for playing uh, AUU basketball in the summer. And I would just like to, to start with this poem. I, it was a little too long, um, so I took some out of it, but here it is. Uh, if you never felt pain, then how would you know that I'm a healer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I'm a comforter? If you never made a mistake, how would you know that I'm forgiving? If you never were broken, then how would you know that I can make you whole? If I gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? If you had all power, then how would you learn to depend on me? If your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? Sometimes things don't go our way or end up the way we want them to. We all failed one way or another, whether it's a particular task, a big test, maybe a failed relationship, Maybe you did something wrong, or maybe we've turned our backs on Christ. I failed many times in my life, whether I disobey my parents, um, I miss a, a game-winning shot, or I talk behind one of my friends' back. Those are all maybe little things that you can get past, but there are some really big failures that maybe stay with us for the rest of our lives. There, you know, there, there are many different ways we respond to failure. I think some ways, some common ways we might respond are probably ways maybe that we shouldn't. Uh, we could go with a politician model, cover it up quickly and conveniently forget. Or that um, I'm not guilty and refuse to take the blame. Or maybe the most one, the one that we utilize the most, we, the give up model. We, maybe we give into depression, never really attempt anything and spend the rest of our lives just existing. You know, good thing we don't have to go by these. Uh, we are blessed because God in his word tells us that, tell us a lot about dealing with failure and the fear of failing again. In fact, some of the people in the Bible that we look, like, that we look up to are really pros at failing. Uh, Adam and Eve only had one simple rule. And they couldn't even keep that. Abraham didn't believe God would. God, Abraham didn't believe God when he promised him a son with Sarah. David had an affair. Elijah allowed himself to get so depressed after defeating thousands, he ran away from a woman and begged God to take his life. Now, I can I sort of understand that. I mean. I have, let's see, I have my uncle right there, I have my dad, and my grandpa's somewhere. All of them are afraid of their wives, so <laughs> that's understandable. So, <laughs> uh, I think, but, but I think the most difficult one of all, and maybe one that I've overlooked, and maybe many of you have overlooked, is Peter denying Christ three times. Not to say that what Peter did was any worse but sometimes I think we tend to overlook it. I mean, Peter was with Jesus for 
three years. He ate with them, hung out with them, he followed him. He was one of Jesus' most trusted disciples, yet he he said he never knew him three times. I look at failure as an event, not a destiny. We all fail at some point, if we're honest, we'll fail again and again. As Peter's story proves, it's not our initial failure that ruins us. It's what happens next that really matters. Failure doesn't mean you've blown everything. It means you have hard lessons to learn. It doesn't mean that, that you should give up. It just means the, the Lord just needs to show you the next step. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It just means that he might have a better plan. When we have failed, especially when we have failed those that we love the, that we love the most, our mind becomes a swirl of, evo- of emotions, maybe embarrassment, maybe anger, shame, despair, maybe even fear. When we have hurt someone deeply, we want to know if they love us or have we blown it. Will they ever forgive me? Can I ever forgive myself? Peter never forgot. I don't, I don't think Peter ever forgot what happened when he denied Christ. I think as long as he lived, he never really ever forgot it. So how does Jesus restore his fallen disciple? I think we can answer this in four stages. Number one, he sent for him. In Mark 16, Jesus tells Mary to tell the disciples and Peter. I, I love how he says, and Peter. I know, I'm sure... I'm sure Peter wondered to himself, what am I now? Am I a traitor? Um, What does Jesus think of me? That type of thing. I think Jesus makes a point to say, and Peter, to let Peter know that he still loves him and that he forgives him. I think he was saying, go tell the disciples and especially Peter. I think, you know, Peter may have failed in the upper room, but Jesus still sent for him. You know, just a few hours earlier, Peter had said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And then later, he bragged about his courage. He said that if of all the others deserted Jesus, he would never. But a few hours later, he does that, that same thing. You know, under pressure, the bold apostle melts like butter. Peter may have failed in the courtyard, but Jesus sent for him. Saying maybe, are you one of those, those men who are with Jesus? Jesus, I don't know him. Didn't I see you with him, with his disciples? I don't know the man. Aren't you a follower of Jesus of Nazareth? He began, I think, then he, you know, maybe he gets agitated and begins maybe to swear, I tell you, I don't know that man. You know, in the, in the distance, a rooster crows. And... Moments later, Jesus was brought out from his trial before Caiaphas. In Luke 22, it says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I think that's when the, the full impact of his, his sin hit him, realizing you know, what he, he had done. After all that, he still sins for him. He doesn't write Peter off as a permanent failure. He doesn't put him in the biggest loser category. Jesus still has plans for Peter, when, plans to give him a hope and a future, plans to give him a second chance. Number two, he met with him. 
Where did Peter go after he denied Christ? We don't really know for certain. The Bible never really says. We can assume Peter did what most of us would probably do when we've made a mistake or hurt somebody. The last thing we want is to be around people, especially the ones that love us the most and know us best. Because we've let them down, we, we don't want to see them. I think sin separates us from God and God's people. It also isolates us in such a way we allow it to convince us that making a huge mistake, no one wants to be around us. I think that's what happened to Peter that weekend. Wherever he went, I'm sure he felt alone. The last thing we were told about Peter after Jesus was crucified, no, yeah. The last thing we, told, we were told about Peter after Jesus looked at him is that he wept bitterly. We were not told where he was during the crucifixion or the burial. We can guess that maybe he went off to a, a lonely spot and beat himself up about it, like I, maybe many of us do. Asking maybe, why? Why did I do that? How can I be so foolish? And what does Jesus think of me? We find an answer, I think, to that last question in the fact that Jesus made a special appearance to Peter sometime resurrection morning. We don't know where or when. We don't know the details. But the Bible mentions twice that this meeting took place. One in Luke 24, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Jesus not only sends for Peter, he goes to meet him where he's at before he meets with the others. Since Peter denied Christ, things must be first settled between the two of them. Jesus comes after Peter and doesn't wait for him to make the first move. Number three, he challenged him. All right, now we come to, to John 21. It's the evening on the Sea of Galilee, not long after the resurrection. Peter and six others have spent long hours of the night fishing and catching nothing. In the morning, a man calls from the shore, telling them to put their nets on the other side. They end up with so many fish, they, they can't haul the net in because it's so full. When Peter realizes that it's Jesus, he jumps in the water and starts swimming for shore. It turns out that they caught 153 fish simply by obeying. When is the last time we jumped out of the boat for Jesus? When is the last time we acted as soon as we felt the calling of the Holy Spirit? Or did we just ignore the prompting? Now, if Jesus was watching the disciples from shore all night, why didn't he speak up? Why allow his men to toil for hours in frustration? I think because he, they needed to fail. Failure in this case was necessary for eventual success. If that unidentified man had spoken up sooner, they would probably just eject, rejected his advice. They probably maybe laughed at him or maybe even shown some arrogance, saying, what do you know? We're, we're, we're professionals. We know how to fish. Professional fish. Fishermen. Yeah. Isn't, you know, isn't, the, isn't that the same thing we do sometimes? But let the night, let the night pass, 
and the sun rise, then we will be ready to listen to the voice of the Lord. I think the Lord allows us to fail in our own strength so that we may learn that only by his power will we ever succeed. Microsoft founder Bill Gates said, success is a lousy teacher. It makes smart people think they can't lose. The greatest basketball player ever, Michael Jordan, didn't make his high school team. He failed, but that didn't stop him. The disciples needed to fail so they could learn to depend on Christ for their victories. Sometimes it takes shameful failure for us finally to wake up and see our need for Christ. When we read John 21, we should connect it back to when Jesus and Peter first met in Luke 5, where Jesus tells Peter to go out into the deep and let down your nets. Despite his doubts, Peter follows Jesus, Jesus' command, and ends up catching so many fish that they filled two boats. So I think now we've come full circle. The questions for both situations are the same. Peter, will you obey me even when it makes no sense? Will you and I obey him when it makes no sense? Will we obey him when we have failed on our own? Number four, he reinstated him. Now, after the breakfast was over, uh, Peter and Jesus, you know, they had a talk. This is like, I think, the, the part of the story we know best. Um, in John 21, 15 through 17, you can, you can turn there if you like. Um, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of, son of John, do you love me? I think Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter and Jesus had this conversation around a charcoal, a charcoal fire. The particular Greek word for charcoal fire is used only in one other place in the New Testament. In John 18, 18, it referred to the charcoal fire in the courtyard where Peter denied Christ. By one fire, he says, I don't know him. And by another, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. By one fire, he denied Christ. And by one, he is restored by Christ. Several questions come to mind. Why do this publicly? Because Peter denied him publicly. The other disciples need to hear Peter openly declare his love for Christ. Without hearing this, the, question, the doubts, the questions would linger. The man who had been so boastful, so sure of himself, so confident of his own courage, is now thoroughly humbled. Jesus' first question, do you love me more than these? was a subtle reminder of his, pre his previous boast to be more loyal than the other disciples. In his reply, Peter declares his love for Christ, but refuses to compare himself to anyone else. As painful it, as it might have been, 
it was absolutely necessary. Jesus is cleaning the wounds so that it might be properly healed. He is getting rid of Peter's guilt and shame by dealing with it openly. Jesus doesn't try and make Peter feel guilty. He doesn't humiliate him publicly. He doesn't ask, are you sorry for what you did? He doesn't make him promise to do better. He just asks him one question. Do you love me? Once we have hurt someone we love, it is, it's, hard to look, it's hard to look them in the face, and it's harder still to be questioned about our true commitment. How could, you, how, how could you have done that? What were you thinking? Do you love me at all? But the questions must be asked and the answers must be given. And they must be repeated if the truth is to be fully told. Peter needed to see the enormity of his sin. And he needed to hear Jesus ask these questions. Only then could he be truly restored. Without the pain, he wouldn't have gotten better. Um, as I was preparing this, I came across this quote, the truth, will set you, the truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. Often we don't get better because we don't want to face the hard truth about what we've said or what we've done. But until we face the truth about ourselves, we can never be free. When Christ asks the question the third time, Peter's heart is grieved, and he just, you know, he blurts out, Lord, you know all things. With those words, Peter renounces all of his self-confidence. On that fateful night in the upper room, he thought he knew himself, but he didn't. Now he's not so sure. He doesn't even trust his own heart. Instead, he trusts in the Lord who knows all things. I think this is a mighty step um, for Christian growth. It is, it is a great... Ad- yeah. We can say with conviction then... My trust is in the Lord alone. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom and hit it hard before we can say those words and mean them. Now, did it work? Did, uh, did this painful surgery produce the desired healing? Yes, Peter never denied Christ again. And just a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, fully restored he stood in the temple and preached the gospel to the very men that had crucified Christ. 3,000 people were saved that day. The old Peter was gone. A new man was born when Jesus restored him. So what does Christ do with failure? Well, he redeems it. Um, a quote by Erwin um, Lutzer, God is able to forget our past. Why can't we? He throws our sins into the depths of the sea and puts us up a sign on the shore which reads, no fishing. So the final irony from beginning to end, Jesus believed in Peter more than, he, than, than Peter believed in himself. So it will be for all of us. If your life was perfect, then what would you need Jesus for? Let's pray. God, um, I, just, I thank you uh, for this church and the opportunity for us as youth to, to, to serve in this church. So wherever, wherever we're serving, whether we're speaking, whether we're 
uh, leading worship or ushering or teaching classes. I thank you for that opportunity. And I pray for anybody that maybe is dealing with failure themselves, that they will realize that you have already forgotten about it. You've, you've forgiven them. They just need to come to you. In your name I pray, amen. And thank you, Caleb. <clears throat> we call this... Uh... You know, we call this Youth Sunday, and I, I think that kind of tricks us into sitting back and kind of watching our youth, doesn't it? We're going to watch them teach, we're going to watch them play, but folks, this Sunday is no different than any Sunday that we gather here for worship and fellowship. Uh, this Sunday's about God, and God's been here today. His glory has entered this place and ministered and guided and healed and encouraged, and when God moves and works in our midst, we should respond, shouldn't we? You know, I think there's about five different ways we can respond right now. We can worship, and we're going to do that. We can pray, and I believe we're going to do that. Some may want to take their step, uh, that, that prayer a step further and actually come down here to the altar. Maybe it's to lay down that failure. Maybe it's to leave it at the foot of the cross. Maybe it's to come to this altar and pick up the forgiveness of Christ. Maybe a fourth way you want to respond to the Lord today is come forward and talk to one of our pastors about having a relationship with Christ. It may take a moment, but it can affect all of eternity. Maybe you're here today and you know that you want to be a part of what Christ is a part of, His local church, and you want to be a member here at Colonial Heights Baptist. That's five ways that every person in this room can respond at least one of those. As God, move, as God moves and as God speaks, let's stand and let's sing and you respond to the Lord.